listening to episode number three of the Mind Body Academy podcast with Sarah Rose. This isn't an NBA. This is the NBA. This is the place for you to get coached and make health and happiness the business of how you get ahead in life. You get coached. Coached. This is the startup of you. You get coached. And now, your coach, Sarah Rose. Hey friends, welcome to the podcast. I hope you're doing amazing because today's a good day to have a good day. Why not? (laughs) And today I want to talk to you about the ultimate authority on weight loss. With so many guides and gurus out there, it's easy to get your brain into a pretzel about who to believe and what actually works and what to follow. And when you're trying to lose weight, food plays such a big part. You could expect about 80 to 90% of your results are going to come from nutrition and mindset alone. So needless to say, figuring out the perfect formula weighs pretty big on a lot of people's minds. A lot of my clients, when they first come to me, find it very hard to cut through the confusion around what constitutes the right foods to be eating and what the right guidelines are to be following. And you may have encountered this, but people can get pretty touchy (laughs) when you question their food choices and the kind of diets they ascribe to. It's almost like religion because the rules we have around eating and how we make decisions around food become a sort of code of ethics. So the question is, who actually holds the final word? Who is the number one weight loss expert that can help you get it right? And no, I won't say me. (laughs) The truth is, the debate over what food to eat and why to eat it and how it affects you is very subjective. And whether you find yourself in the keto camp or the vegan camp or you have any other stomping grounds, what we can all fundamentally agree on is that there's a lot of disagreement out there on what we actually agree on when it comes to how to eat to lose weight. What's so interesting, like when I think of my own weight loss journey, I started off doing a lot of things like still eating quite a bit of sugar and flour, which I wouldn't advise now to my clients, but that got me going with some results. Eventually I reached a plateau and I had to change up my strategy, but my point is there are so many roads that lead to Rome. But if the guy who's starting his journey from the inside of Italy or Spain or anywhere else in the world is trying to tell me, who's starting my journey from Canada, that his way is the only way to get to Rome, we start to see that it's not an argument that makes a lot of sense. If it works for you and it's getting you the results you want, who am I to tell you that my way is better or that my way is going to work for you at all? The number one expert on what your body needs will always be your body. There is no replacement for the wisdom of your own body when it comes to how you should be feeling yourself. When I first share this with my clients, it makes a lot of intuitive sense, kind of like they're rediscovering something they already knew. But more practically, many of us are practiced being very mistrusting of our bodies. 
it feels like if you were to start listening to our bodies, we'd end up with both our hands at the bottom of two separate bags of Cheetos, shoveling back spoons chocked full of haagen straight from the tub into our mouths with the bags of chips still attached to our hands. <laughs> the image that we have of ourselves is very out of control, right? Except it's not right. It's actually not easy to make people gain weight, which may make some of you want to raise an angry eyebrow, but I don't care how strong your eyebrow game is. They've actually done studies where they've looked at, can you make people deliberately gain weight? Back in the 60s, there was a famous study by Dr. Ethan Sims, and basically he recruited a bunch of convicts at the Vermont State Prison, and they had them eating 4,000 calories per day. What happened next was really interesting because the weight did spike a bit initially, but then it stabilized. And even though when they first started the study, the participants didn't mind the extra calories, as they started to put on some weight, they found it harder and harder to shove back the food. In other words, they were struggling to overeat. Some people even dropped out of the study at that point because it was too hard. Weird, right? Except think of that feeling you get when you're more stuffed than the turkey after a holiday dinner. And now imagine having to dine on another three courses. Yeah, no thank you. Not so easy, huh? But back to the study. Basically, they kept increasing the calorie intake and some prisoners were up to a whooping 10,000 calories per day. Over the next four to six months, the remaining prisoners in the study did gain about 20 to 25% of their original body weight, which, by the way, is much less than they originally predicted. And what they also found was that the prisoners did not all gain weight the same way. It actually varied a lot person to person. Now, I'm just going to press pause on the story right here because I'm going to draw your attention to something that so many people who are calorie obsessed are completely missing, but it's highlighted really clearly in the study, which is that you and I can eat the same amount of calories and exercise the same amount, and it is possible that you gain more weight than me or vice versa. So what gives? If it were just a matter of calories in, calories out, theoretically, we should have the same result. The key factor at play that accounts for these individual differences in terms of weight gained is metabolism. So in the most simple way to understand, each of us has a different basal metabolic rate, meaning amount of calories that the body uses to function at rest. If you were to lie in bed all day, all wrapped up in your covers like a baby burrito and not move, your body would still be burning calories to keep you alive. What happened to the prisoner's metabolism in the study isn't what you think. It didn't become down-regulated and all messed up like you would think, not messed up in the way that you would think anyway. The total energy expenditure in the participants in the study actually increased by 50%. What this means is that their bodies were trying to burn off the excess calories in order to return to their original weight. So fascinating. And what's so great about this study is that it really showcases that the body has this brilliant design. It's designed to let us know what it needs in order to function optimally. And it's designed to help us survive. Your body is on your side. It has your back, literally and figuratively. 
<laughs> okay? Now, even if the subjects in the study did see their metabolism increase, they were still eating more than their bodies required for fuel. They were still eating more than their basal metabolic rate. And that's why they gained weight. I'll often ask my new clients why they think they weigh more than they want to. Why it is they don't have the result that they want right now. And there are lots and lots of reasons people can come up with. But the truth of the matter, what it always comes down to, is that they are eating more than their body requires for fuel. It can seem very basic, but we tend to forget our tendency to overcomplicate the truth. So if our body has mechanisms in place to regulate our body weight, why do we end up overeating and gaining weight? There are usually one of two reasons, and both involve ignoring and disconnecting from our bodies. The first reason people overeat is because they restrict their food intake too much. When people go on crash diets and try not to eat at all, they make themselves calorie deprived. Let me give you a helpful image of what it's like from your body's perspective when you do this. When I imagine what's going on inside my body, I like to imagine it being like in the movie Osmosis Jones, which is this movie from the early 2000s featuring Bill Murray and Chris Rock, and half the movie takes place inside the main character's body in cartoon. <laughs> so Bill Murray's character gets infected with this virus, and everything that's taking place inside of him as his body fights off the virus is a cartoon action comedy. So all the processes that go on inside our bodies are given a personality. And I imagine it being like that in my body. All these little microorganisms that have no idea what it's like in the world outside of you. They don't have eyes on what you see. So for all they know, when you cut way back on what you're usually eating, all the alarm bells start going off and everyone starts to prepare for the arrival of the famine. And your body doesn't know that there's still lots of food around. What happens is your metabolism slows down to conserve energy and it holds on to fat. Your body holds on to every calorie for dear life. This is the collective war effort going on inside your body. And this makes a lot of sense because for most of human evolution, we weren't able to predictably and dependably know when and where our next meal would come from. So this is actually a very sophisticated and intelligent design that has allowed us, the humans, to survive. So just remember that when you restrict too much, you actually put your body into shock and what ends up happening inside of you counteracts your intention for restricting, which is to lose weight. Make sense? There's actually a second thing that your body does in response to caloric reduction. It's as if your body wants to check in with you and confirm that the famine has come. It's like, hello, what's going on out there? <laughs> so the hormonal signals that stimulate hunger increase and the body starts to nag us about what's going on. It's like <laughs> if you've ever seen that show Family Guy, the baby Stewie is often looking for attention in this one scene. He just keeps repeating, mom, 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 mother, 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 Lois, Lois, Lois. And after ignoring him, she finally explodes and screams, what? <laughs> so the body starts to plead with us in that same way to get our attention. 
And it tries to get us to regain the lost weight because it's like, what's going on here? And this kind of neurosis, right, starts to set in. Imagine if your brain was a baby Stewie. <laughs> Horrible. But that's kind of what happens because this this kind of brain fog sets in where it's like all you can think about is food. It's like, can we eat now? How about now? Come on, just nibble. How about now? Thoughts of food start to fill our every waking thought. So there's this amplification that sets in where that natural, healthy growl of hunger becomes a force of a magnitude seven quake where you're almost grabbing for the person's arm next to you every time your stomach grumbles and you just feel like being like, whoa, hey, did you just feel that too? (laughs) Our compulsion to eat becomes that powerful. So, So if we aren't keeping our bodies reasonably fed, our bodies can no longer rely on us to make sure that they're fed. So they activate adaptations to caloric reduction that make it seem like We can't rely on our bodies to listen to us when we try to tell our bodies something about releasing some fat. Your body no longer trusts you because you're disconnecting from its hunger signals and feeding it according to some external plan instead of your internal cues. And then you end up not trusting your body because it feels like you're working at cross purposes, even though your body's actually trying to take care of you. There are so many diets and experts out there that push forward an aggressive model of caloric reduction, but low calorie just doesn't work for this reason. The rebound effects are just too important to be able to sustain the weight loss in the long term. The second reason people overeat is because the culture around food today makes it really easy to go unconscious around food. It's like We only find ourselves finally waking up when we're in the food coma. (laughs) But most of us are very out of touch with our body's cues and signals. You might even be wondering, what cues and signals? (laughs) Most people are eating and snacking and munching all day long with no regard to hunger. We don't even know what physical hunger feels like. We polish off our plates because that's what's in front of us. We eat because it's the morning, lunch, or dinner. We eat because it's a special occasion or because it would be impolite to refuse. We eat because Becky brought Timbits to the office, which for my non-Canadian friends are like bite-sized donuts. And all that to say, we're not eating according to our body's needs or its requirements for fuel. Which is crazy because there's an entire industry that's like, hey, try this, do this, don't eat this, definitely don't eat that, track your calories. And we get all confused about what to do and who to listen to, and it's like, wait a minute. If you want to know what your body requires for fuel, have you ever even asked it? Because it will tell you. But you must first learn to pay attention and listen to what it has to say. If you listen to your hunger and the cues that tell you that you're full, your body will give you the exact formula for eating. If you eat only when your body is physically hungry and you stop at the first whisper of fullness, you'll be able to lose weight and maintain a happy and healthy body weight. It's no more complicated than that. You've had access 24-7 to the number one weight loss expert, and you probably didn't even realize. We're so used to thinking of our bodies as the problem, So many of us are unable to recognize it as the actual solution. 
It's your body's job to take care of you. Let it. If not listen to your body, then who? The diet industry that banks on you becoming dependent on its products or your weight yo-yoing as the realization sinks in that that cucumber diet you tried, even though it allowed you to lose the weight, is the only way you know how to make sure the weight stays off. I love cucumbers, but (laughs) the prospect of eating only cucumbers for my entire life, yeah, you get my point, (laughs) right? Are you putting your trust in people who are going to blame you for not following the diet when you start gaining back the weight when adherence is too hard? Or are you going to put your faith back in yourself? Or maybe you're considering relying on the American Health Association to tell you what to do. The same association that popularized the belief that low fat was the way to lose weight for 40 years, even though that was scientifically unsupported and then later proved spectacularly misinformed while obesity reached epidemic proportions. So many of us become obsessed with finding the step-by-step guaranteed success formula for weight loss. We think there must be some expert out there who holds the answer for us. My coach and mentor, Brooke Castillo, calls this phenomenon, how greed. And it's a sneaky way that we have of avoiding the need to take responsibility if the process we follow doesn't work. We want to be told exactly how to do something. We want to have it all figured out for ourselves. And this how greed is born out of our desire for certainty. We think that if someone tells us the answer, that we can somehow skip over all the not-so-nice emotions that are part of the weight loss journey. The confusion, the deprivation, the frustration, the shame, all of it. But out of our unwillingness to feel those things, and often what we do when we feel those intense negative emotions and we're unwilling to feel them, what do we do when we don't want to feel them? We eat, right? We keep remaining stuck in those emotions that lead us to overeat. So it's a vicious cycle. Most of us have learned to distrust our bodies, We have taught ourselves to ignore what's really going on with us, so we eat past the point of full and then deprive our bodies later by going on a diet. If you're ready for a change, you have to disrupt that pattern. You have to get back into relationship with your body. You need to learn that you can trust it and teach it that it can trust you. When we restore that connection to our bodies, when we give ourselves our own kind attention and practice enough self-regard to grant our bodies an expert voice in how to best take care of our bodies, gradually we discover a newfound freedom because we're able to sense that beneath all our thoughts and judgments about our bodies, there is a basic aliveness just right there. A basic aliveness that can provide us with this sense that no matter what's going on outside of us, no matter what we look like or what condition our bodies are in, that we can be with it because we are alive. We can contact this present moment with a sense of, ah, yes, this too can be a part of my human experience. The 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows, somehow the human body is able to hold it all. And it all starts to appear kind of miraculous when you really start to think about it. We begin to sense that this body 
that can seem so fragile, so imperfect, such a problem to us, is in fact the solid container for our human experience. We begin to sense that everything we could ever feel is vibration in the body, that this human life is lived in this human body. It's a recognition that's so basic that it's almost radical to realize. It's like, wow, what a freedom if you can start to consider that this is the exact body you were meant to have. That everything you were meant to experience in this lifetime, you are meant to experience through this human body. When you start to not only believe this, but feel it at a visceral, deep-in-your-bones kind of level, it becomes much easier to take good care of your mind, your body, your spirit. It becomes easier to access your own body's wisdom on how to lose weight, the way you plan on living it. It's much more intuitive and honest and therefore lasting because it's rooted in a relationship rather than dependent on a result. It will allow you to discover a way of nourishing your body that you love so much that you can possibly imagine going about it any other way. Your relationship with yourself is the most defining factor in shaping the kind of life you live, in shaping the kind of body you're able to live in and live this life through. The less you love yourself and the more you ignore yourself, the less you'll be able to understand yourself. Yet, you're the expert on you. The power you have isn't to change at the snap of your fingers. And I know many of you think that would be magical, but you'd actually miss out on all the magic. It's like wanting to skip over all the mushy goodness of a relationship when you're getting to know someone and you feel all of the feels of falling in love and instead of having all of that, you're like, nah, can we just skip to the part where we get married already? It's probably not what you want. The weight loss journey is, is a question practically of relationship, of getting back into nourishing relationship with ourselves. The power you have is to step into yourself just as you are and to decide that whatever you decide for yourself, you're worth it because you are. All right. Have a beautiful week, everyone. Get out there and make today a good day. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for being an awesome listener of the Mind Body Academy podcast. If you're ready to redefine success to include health and happiness and live into a body, you capital L-O-V-E, then you need to join me in Think Yourself Slim. It's my one-on-one coaching program where you'll get the coaching you need to become a weight loss success story. Step into the vision that you have for your life over at mindbody.academy. Let's start a transformation today.